Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. The show can be watched live, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. What's up, amigos? It's Prodigy Maker Show, episode 66 junior tournament progression for prodigies and non-prodigies alike for everybody every junior out there mainly a show about juniors and junior tournaments junior tournament scheduling including training i think we're going to get into a little bit of training if you are a senior competitive senior or adult feel free to throw in your questions as well because i do have a lot of uh players who are competing in nationals and international seniors, also fans of the program. So if you have questions about your senior adult, uh, like master's calendar scheduling too, let me know for tournaments. But let's get into, let's dig deep into the questions about junior tennis uh, scheduling. And let's talk about tournament progression and where do you start at a young age? I think we should start at the younger ages because sometimes I have little prodigies working with me as young as, you know, five, typically five years and up. So between the age of five and 10, and then from 10 all the way up to 18, typically is the rest of the junior years. So, you know, it's kind of go at it maybe, uh, you know, five to 10 or 10 to 14 or 14 to 18, but basically, under 10 and then over 10 and into the teenage years. So if you have any questions, if you have a junior or if you're a coach, I know we have a lot of coach who, who coaches who listen and watch this podcast, uh, please send me your questions and I'll be happy to answer those on the show. And this whole show started with uh, a question from a parent and a question that I get questions that I get all the time about how many tournaments should my son or daughter play uh, where should we start? What tournament should, should we enter? What circuit should we play? Those kind of things. So these are very common questions that parents have. Uh, let's start in the younger years. So if you have a young kid, you know, from, let's say, starting at five years old, all the way up to eight or nine or ten, I work with a lot of prodigies at this age. And sometimes the most prodigious players, the kids who are really precocious, they're playing a lot of tennis at this age, despite what you see in the literature about the dangers of over-specialization and the stories that the stories that you hear about, you know, some kids burning out and um, or getting injured. The, the in my experience, the really elite players uh, at the young ages are playing a lot, and the tournament question can be can be a mixed bag. So they may not be playing a lot of tournaments at that age. Some kids play more tournament, tournaments than others, but they're typically playing a lot more tennis than you would think. So, uh, for example, I've had young kids playing almost every day, six or seven days a week, or six days a week with a day off. And typically at the younger, on the younger side of the spectrum, the kids are taking Every kid is different, but in general, the kids are taking a lot of private lessons to get their technique and their footwork and their fundamentals refined and polished. So uh, 
really good schedule for a young kid, five, six, seven, uh, that when they're just sort of, you know, kids usually start playing maybe, you know, two, three, or four, but they start getting more serious typically at five, six, seven, the real prodigies. And um, in my experience, they're taking a, a lesson a day. You could take a, a lesson every day. They could, you could play almost every day, six or seven days a week, the really good ones. And uh, it doesn't have to be in a group. You know, I think sometimes we have a lot of group classes for young children. And in my experience, some of the best players, they don't really do that. They, the best young players, they take a lot of one-on-one. -on -one and they're getting a lot of specialized instruction and individualized instruction. That could be from the parent. So some kids are lucky enough to have a parent who's knowledgeable and who's a good player and who can give the, the kid the one-on-one -on -one and, and maybe even work on the technique or fundamentals at that age. And um, as opposed to, or it can be done with a coach, obviously. Uh, sometimes I get hired to do that, that uh, initial work with a young kid to build their technique, to build their foundation their skills uh, and to get them ahead of the rest of the kids that age. In my experience, the kids who are young, and this would be important for you guys to realize, the kids who are young who do a lot of groups and who do, especially who do like a red, orange, green type programs that are very popular around the world now in depends on the country, but especially here in the U.S., the, uh, the red programs and the orange programs, in my experience, are... I don't want to say a uh, waste of time, but they're really bad. And the kids don't reach a high level through those programs. There may be some exceptions at certain exceptional clubs around the country, but in general, in my experience, those are places that are lowest common denominator. And the kids who take a lot of classes, like groups or classes or clinics in uh, red programs and orange programs around the country, they achieve uh, less. They achieve at a they achieve at a slower rate. They improve at a slower rate, and they don't make the fastest progress. So that's my experience, and that's my my best expert advice that I could give you is to try to steer clear of those types of programs. If you want to have a prodigy, if you want to have a a junior who is one of the best in the country or one of the best in the world, I would definitely stay away from a lot of groups at a young age. In my experience, private one-on-one -on -one instruction uh, is generally the way to go. It does depend. These are very complicated questions because it does depend on the player. Some players don't have as much uh, engagement or use the, I'm going to carefully use the word fun uh, in, in a one-on-one -on -one setting and they can thrive with their with friends and in more group format. And some of the more talented kids may, may need less one-on-one. -on -one. So the more talented a kid is, the less one-on-one -on -one they tend to need. So it is possible to develop a prodigy or an elite player, a champion, little, little tiger, without a lot of private lessons. And that should give some comfort to those of you who may not have a lot of money for private lessons or... You, you may maybe a parent and, and you're saying, you know, I don't know a lot about tennis. I can't give my kid uh, that that one on one instruction. I don't know enough about tennis. Uh, if there are some exceptional kids who are really, really talented and they can play in groups and they can uh, still somehow motorically. They're very gifted. They're good mimics. And just through their sheer talent and motoric talent, 
they can develop pretty good uh, technique by mimicking the pros that they see and other good players that they see. So that that's a wonderful money saver and time saver if you have a kid like that. But not all elite kids are motorically gifted that way. There are some very talented athletes who they still need help with their muscle memory. They still need help building their repetitions. So just because you're an amazing athlete, like your speed is off the charts and your your strength and stamina and power and things like that are and the hand-eye or off the charts doesn't mean necessarily that you have your off the charts motorically where you where you can learn strokes very quickly and easily. Some I've had some talented kids who were really great athletes, but they they needed to do a lot of repetitions to acquire the skills that they needed to be elite players. So you can consider that as well. So I I can't give you just complete black and white. Uh, uh, answer but in general I think most of the elite kids at a young age they're getting a lot of individualized private uh, or semi-private or specialized instruction specifically to develop their movement and footwork and their technique and that way if you can get that going at four five six if if when that kid is like seven eight nine or ten they're amazing they're off the charts because they have the tools, then the, they have these uh, polished, uh, refined skills that other kids their age are not even close to acquiring. And so the, the gap between uh, that type of player who's had the one-on-one -on -one instruction and the really specialized technical instruction starting at a young age, the gap at nine or 10 is quite large and that's how you start to get into the prodigy land or the elite uh, junior land where when you have skills that are a couple years ahead of your peers and the gap between your ability and the others your age uh, uh, is very wide and very far you, you people start to say holy you know holy shit look at this kid this kid's amazing this kid's special and they're looking usually at the skills and the technique acquirement uh, but if you combine that with the kid who's also very gifted as an athlete in other aspects, you know, uh, who's fast and uh, powerful and and uh, great eyes and coordination, then you have something really, really special. And you can have one of those transcendent players, a player who transcends uh, other kids, uh, transcends the game, transcends the, uh, the division that they're in, you know, where you have like a, you could have a 12 year old. Uh, you could have a 10-year-old winning national, you know, 12s and 14s, or you could have, uh, sometimes in the girls, the girls sometimes mature a lot faster. Uh, you could have a, a girl who's 12 winning the 16s or 18s nationals or internationals, which is um, really, really impressive. And that shows an incredible amount of talent and also an incredible amount of skill acquirement at a young age. So those are the things you're kind of looking for in terms of uh, how, how young kids are training. So the, sometimes with girls, girls can turn pro at like, you know, they can start considering pro at 12, 13, 14. That's not unheard of. So uh, when you have a five, six or seven year old, the road to the pros, it can be quite short with a, with a female player. It can be like uh, seven years or 
or, or eight years. And with a male player, you're expecting a much longer road, typically, because the males can start playing some, maybe some pro events at 15 or 16, but typically they don't start playing like a full schedule until, you know, their later teenage years at the at the earliest. So the the road with a male junior from five or six can be quite longer, like 10 years or 12 years uh, in terms of uh, evolution and, and progressions. Uh, but uh, what's kind of exciting with female players is if you get them young at five or six or seven and you train them really, really professionally, they could turn pro, you know, in, in six or seven years, which is uh, an incredible uh, amount of achievement in a short amount of time. So uh, for that to happen, the technique has to be really, really good. The skills have to be really, really good. And you have to have an incredible off the charts athlete in, in, like, in a number of categories. Uh, so, and we've done shows on talent. I encourage you, if you're interested in what makes a talented athlete, uh, what makes a prodigious athlete, to look into some of the previous podcasts and shows that we've done on, for example, you know, what is talent? And, you know, talent can take many forms, whether it's, uh, like I mentioned, speed or power or hand-eye coordination or stamina or agility or um, motoric skill. And also the X factors, the, the mental powers, the powers of concentration, the powers of emotional control. And, and all, there's a number of categories of talent that you, if you want to have a, an elite player, a prodigy, then um, at, at, in the younger years and who develops into a great champion, you're going to have to check the boxes in pretty much all those categories, like a 10 out of 10, like in the video game, you have the superpowers and all of your categories have to be at 10 out of 10 or 100 out of 100. Uh, and then if you give them that player the skills and manage their tournament progression well, you may end up with, with a really, really special player, uh, off the charts player. So getting back to that age, you know, you, you have a young kid, four, five, six, and, and upwards. And if they're not prodigious, like they're, you don't, they're not a prodigy, they're just like your regular kid who's... Um, not dialed into tennis just yet. Maybe they they like tennis, but they're not like training for the pro tour yet. It sounds funny to say, but there are some young kids like, you know, six or seven years old that they already know that they want to be a pro. They know that they want to be number one in the world. They know that they want to win slams. They could tell you how exactly, I've had kids like, you know, eight years old tell me how many slams they wanted to win, which slams in order they wanted to win. Like there are kids like that who are really, really precocious. And those are the kind of kids I'm talking about on the prodigy side of, of the equation. And on the other side of the equation, you have like an average five, six or seven year old. I have four kids myself, you know, most kids at that age are, they just want to play tennis because it's fun and they, they like the game. They may like other sports as well. It's, it's common for kids to like more than one sport. You know, it's, it's rare to have a kid who just wants to play hundred uh, percent tennis, you know, this is a really complicated subject, so it's it's probably I probably bit off a little more than I could chew in 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 one show or one podcast. We may have to do a follow up podcast, but but uh, and you guys can send me all the questions you want, and and I'll, I'll help try to focus the answers that way. But uh, in general, for non prodigies, for kids who are like more average or normal, and you don't know that they're going to be champions yet, they typically play you know two or three times a week at a young age and uh, they do more groups 
because the groups are fun and the groups are inexpensive and the groups are where kids can socialize. So for most most a lot of kids like that. And it's a good way to introduce the game at a lower cost because tennis is tends to be an expensive sport. So so that's where groups have an uh, an edge in the younger years. But unfortunately, those kids oftentimes don't get the the technical base that they need. They don't acquire the skills that they need at a young age. So that's that's really something to watch out for if you're a parent or if you're a coach. If you want to make sure that the kids, even if they're in taking some group classes for fun and so, social networking and social play, uh, that 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 some way that they're getting the their the repetition and the skills that they need when they become a tournament player in a few years down the road. Most kids start playing tournaments, uh, whether if it's not under 10, they start playing tournaments at a more seriously at, you know, 11, 12, 13. You want to make sure that those kids when they're starting in two or three times a week that some of that time is uh, technical instruction and they're getting really good skills that they, that that the, the technical foundation, a world-class foundation that 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 will carry them through the the years when they decide to become more serious. Uh, so that has to be part of the calculus. That has to be part of the development planning. If you just do fun and you just do groups, and you and especially if you're in a club that is more like a social club, like a recreational club environment, and you don't have a serious high-performance coach, a lot of young kids get the lowest coaches on the roster like at a club, they they have the least experienced coaches working with the young the, the youngest kids, which is unfortunate, and um, it's much more effective if the most experienced coaches, the most knowledgeable coaches, work with the younger kids because they can build those that world class foundation more efficiently. They have more knowledge and skill as a coach, but in general, if your kid is just being coached by you know, some some young professional just out of college, or or someone who's never done it before with a, an elite junior, then they're bound to make mistakes, and the coaching's bound. You know, it's a little bit coaching's going to be more trial and error, and um, you're just not going to get a very effective development that way. It's going to be inefficient, and you'll be lucky if your kid can acquire the skills that they need to be a champion. And you have to be careful. If your kid is not a prodigy just yet, like they're not 100% uh, dialed into tennis, they're not, they haven't completely caught the tennis bug yet, and they're, they're not, they don't have a passion to be a professional or a top college player at a young age, you have to sort of uh, coax them along and make sure that they're acquiring the skills that they need because that may change. I've had many kids who are not that serious at 7 or 8 or 9, and then when they got to be 11, 12, 13, they fell in love with the game, became very passionate about the game. And fortunately, if they were my students, they have good technique and they can just jump into competition and, and, and start playing really high-level tennis fairly quickly. But the kids that really have trouble are the ones who don't have a good technical base, don't have world-class technique. And then when they... If they do fall in love with tennis at a at a later date, like they're a little bit late uh, bloomers, quote unquote, or they're 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 sort of a little bit late to the to the competition scene, you don't want them to be so far behind technically that they uh, have to do a lot of remedial work, or um, you have you know where you have to fix things, or you don't want them to have any major flaws in their technique and in their movement pattern. So 
that's how I see the, the younger years in terms of tournament progressions. So what are the best tournament progressions? To be honest, I have a lot of players who are not playing much USTA, or if they are doing USTA, they're skipping the, the they're skipping, they're going through the USTA as fast as possible. So it depends on your section, but like in New York, there's been um, mandates. There are mandates. I don't know about other sections. I believe they're maybe section by section mandates, but you know, the ridiculous mandates where you have to play a certain number of orange ball tournaments and you're there in New York there's been there's been two levels of orange ball tournaments and then you get to go to green and maybe there are like two levels of green I don't even it changes uh, so I don't even care uh, a lot of my kids are not even doing that or if they're doing it they're going through these progressions very quickly like if they're a good player so uh, if you're a parent and you have a young little superstar who wants to compete you may be forced by USDA mandate to go through orange ball progression where you have to win a certain amount of tournaments or win a certain amount of matches to you know, qualify for the next level and then you have to get through green uh, tournament progression and win a certain amount of matches or get to a certain uh, number of you know semis or finals you know they, they changed the uh, the rubric uh, re recently I think I think that some of the um, some of the rules uh, were adjusted a little bit but in general you have to go through orange and green tournaments before you're allowed to play a yellow ball tournament so I would say if you have a prodigy if you have a prodigious kid very talented kid who's uh, totally laser focused on becoming a top tennis player you either gonna you're either gonna like let's say they're seven or, or six or or nine you're gonna skip the USCA or you're gonna do the USCA progression as fast as possible get those tournaments out of the way and and get to yellow ball because the best players the, the most talented juniors, the prodigies are, are all in yellow ball. And so sometimes I have parents who they don't understand that and they have their kid playing orange or green for a long time and they're just kind of going about the, their business like that. And that's probably a mistake. You want to push your kid uh, through the USTA progressions as fast as you can. And usually if you're gifted, that will, that will happen pretty quick. And you want to get to yellow ball competition as soon as you can. Where, and yellow ball competition in New York is uh, only in the 12 and unders, and that may be a mandate across the, the country. Uh, I'm not familiar with every rule in it from every other section in the U.S., uh, but uh, by and large, typically the yellow ball tournaments are 12 and under. It, it's going to vary by section. And so most of my young superstars, like little little champions, are they're, they're getting through USDA really quickly, and they're playing... They could be seven or eight, and they're going to be playing uh, 12 and under yellow. Uh, I did check into the rules recently for a young player I had, and they're, if you are under seven, you can't, you can't even play the, or I don't believe you're allowed to play the orange ball progression. So, like, I had this little uh, champion girl from Ukraine. Her name was Vlada, and she came here from Ukraine. Uh, she fled the war. Uh, with her family and I was helping her for many months here in Vermont at the club and she trained with me every day for a couple months and I was looking at tournaments for her uh, for like that she could play in the USTA and it was uh, there was a rule saying that she couldn't play any of the progressions under under at six years old she was six you know amazing prodigy and six you know you can you can look her up on uh, 
Instagram. She has a big following. She's very, very gifted uh, little six-year-old still. Uh, one of the best six-year-olds I've coached in a long time. And she couldn't even play out of red. She had to play red ball uh, tournaments until her seventh birthday. So I don't know if that rule has changed, but this is just this year. I, I remember researching the rule, which, which is, this is like completely insane, guys. That uh, little talented six-year-old who can, she can play with a yellow ball. She can, she can play fully with a yellow ball. Uh, and she, she couldn't even play uh, an orange ball tournament legally, you know, in, uh, in, at least in New York. So that's the kind of stuff parents are dealing with and coaches too. And uh, a lot of it's due to USDA. Uh, some of the rules of the USDA are arbitrary and mandates and heavy handedness by the USDA bureaucracy, which a lot of parents and coaches don't appreciate, you know. Uh, so in terms of other options you have, some parents will skip all of the USDA nonsense. And so they're just going to not play their kid until they turn 11. And, and when they turn 11, they're usually automatically qualified for uh, yellow ball, yellow ball 12 and under. And so what do you do with your kid if you're, if you're going to bypass USTA and what do you do with your kid? So there are some different uh, tournament options. You can uh, play UTR and many parents, UTR is extremely popular now. The UTR junior circuit is very, very popular and uh, a lot of parents will enroll in uh, UTR events and just work on building UTR and that can be an effective way to bypass the USDA completely. USDA, by the way, should be careful because as more parents do that, fewer it becomes uh, uh, f there become fewer and fewer players who are in the USDA uh, environment and I think uh, USDA risks just being pushed to the side and being marginalized because so many players are participating in, in UTR and UTR is doing such a better job with their tournament management system and with their app and with uh, basically everything relating to tournaments then uh, as compared to the USDA. USDA risks being uh, marginalized and pushed to the side and and basically made obsolete by uh, aggressive companies like the UTR who are doing a better job in that, that competitive space of tournaments. So uh, UTR is a good way to go. There are other circuits that are available. There's the junior tennis tour. A friend of mine, um, Ed Gober, runs the junior tennis tour, which is a really like, cool new upstart junior circuit where they play yellow ball with very you know, very competitive, high-level kids. So there are options like that, like smaller circuits that you can play. And there's the Little Mo, which is uh, hugely popular in the U.S. And um, they're trying to branch out a little bit internationally. But Little Mo, I have many, many young players of mine who are gifted, and they look to play Little Mo, and some of them not so gifted. So you have, uh, you know, the whole gamut of players in Little Mo. But typically the most... The, the, the best prodigies, the most talented kids in the country usually seek out Little Mo because they can play as young as, you know, eight years old with a yellow ball and they can go to nationals. Uh, and the USDA doesn't have any offering for those kids. USDA sort of, I don't know, it's kind of like lowest common denominator tournament uh, structuring, but USDA doesn't really have a pathway, a good pathway for like a really talented little seven or eight year old who is a yellow baller. So... A lot of those yellow ballers gravitate towards UTR, uh, the gifted ones, or and or the um, uh, the Little Mo uh, circuit. So you have the Little Mo uh, pathway to the nationals, which are held in Texas every year. It's a really nice pathway. You can play your regionals, uh, 
there used to be sectionals, but you can play your regionals for uh, Little Mo. And then if you get reach a certain level in the regionals, you can qualify for the nationals in Austin, Texas every year. Usually the nationals are held in September. And there are also some international Little Mo's. It's a little confusing for parents and coaches sometimes, but there's, there are international Little Mo's uh, where you can also compete against players who are outside of the U.S. Uh, they're held in the U.S., but they're, they're played against uh, international competitors. So you have Little Mo is fantastic. The tournaments are very well run. And the kids usually have a blast in them. So I highly recommend the Little Mo circuit to all parents, uh, especially if you have a gifted kid who wants the yellow ball. You know, for the yellow ballers out there, the Little Mo is, is probably the preeminent uh, tournament circuit to enter and try to win. It's very prestigious to win the national Little Mo, to, to make it to the nationals for a, a young kid. So, for example, I just had a player reach the finals of the tens national so that was henry holtz a player who, whom i've been coaching since five years old great little baller great little yellow baller and he did had a great tournament and qualified and got second place in the national tens which is a fantastic result in a very prestigious event and just a couple of years ago uh, another girl wh whom i coached a lot uh ilana zaretsky actually won the national nines little mo and which is a huge achievement and sometimes you, you see in the, in the history of Little Mo, the winners of the nines and tens, the top Little Mo competitors often do go on to top college and professional careers. So it, it is sort of a signal that a kid has a lot of potential and ability if they're doing well at the national level of Little Mo's, especially under 10. So that's sort of the, the, the uh, overarching, the meta picture of the younger years. Let me know if you have any questions about that. You have the, uh, the option to play uh, a standard USDA program, which is you have to go through your orange uh, and then your, your um, green, and then you can, you can graduate to yellow ball tournaments either at 11 years old or uh, by having enough success in the orange and green tournaments that you, you can qualify early. For, for yellow ball tournaments. Or a lot of parents, and this is a viable option, whether you have a prodigy or a non-prodigy, you can um, just play UTR, uh, just, and you can play local, there's maybe options at your club for match play and uh, local regional play. I, I, know the, the, I know New England and New York fairly well, but there may be other circuits around the country regionally that I'm not as familiar with. So you could seek out some regional circuits that may be inter-club, you can play uh, UTR, which is hugely popular right now, and, and you can play the Little Mo. And with that, it's probably enough because if anything, uh, from the years uh, four, five, six to seven, eight, nine, ten, during those younger years, though that's like elementary to the beginning, maybe uh, basically elementary through middle school, you start to get into a little bit older in middle school, but. Through, through those earlier years, you're, you're trying to get really good skills and you're trying to develop world-class technique and, and, and really, really define and refine the kids' strokes and movement patterns. So uh, you don't need tournaments to do that. The tournaments are a motivation, a motivational tool. The tournaments are fun and exciting. The tournaments are a place where you can start to work on psychology and tactics with a young player. But remember, these are little kids and 
the most important thing at this age is to learn all of the technique of tennis, which is uh, for many kids, even talented kids, is, is, can be difficult and, and hard to learn. Uh, it can be a, relative, a little bit complex sometimes to get the biomechanics right for a young kid. Not always. There are exceptions. As I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the program, I mentioned there are some kids who are naturals and they are mimics and they have this amazing motoric ability to acquire technique, like beautiful, picture-perfect technique. But th those kids are pretty few and far between. Uh, so that's like the big picture of the younger years. And then as the kids get older, let's talk about, you know, middle school and then high school. What What's going on in in that realm. So let's say you have a, you know, we're talking like now over 10 years old, uh, going up to 12s, 14s, 16s, and 18s. Those are like the junior years. So with, and then again, with it's complicated, even more complicated because girls sometimes are way ahead of the boys in terms of their, uh, in terms of their precociousness and in terms of their, their, their maturity and sometimes girls can turn pro at you know at around 13 or 14 which is pretty unheard of doesn't happen with boys boys is 15 16 17 at that at, 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 at the earliest so um, if you can imagine that the timeline is going to be a little different depending on boys and girls but in general just to give you guys like a kind of an overview uh, a lot of kids will will try to work on their USDA ranking uh, everyone's working on their UTR because UTR is like a way of life now. Uh, UTR is like its own religion now. It's a new religion. <laughs> and the, 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 so everyone's obsessed with their UTR. But, but a lot of kids will still play USDA uh, over in the 12s, starting with the 12s division and 14s and up because they want to qualify for the big nationals. So you have like the national indoors, you have national uh, clay courts and hard courts, which are typically the national championships for, for the U.S., and uh, there are other high-level nationals. The tournament tournaments now in the United States are have uh, seven levels, so it goes from level one to level seven. Level one is, is R, level one tournaments are the, the uh, most prestigious and the most highest level national tournaments and the levels go down to level two, three, four, five, six, and seven. And level seven are where you kind of start out your tournament journey and they're the lowest level of uh, USDA competition. And so you start kind of in your section, like sectionally and regionally, playing level sevens, level, and then you try to get to level sixes and level fives. And then you can start to build uh, your national ranking and national points by playing L4s, L3s, L2s, and hopefully uh, qualifying for some of the big, uh, the biggest nationals, which are called super nationals. And there you get the most points, and they're the, the, you can win a gold ball, it, or if you, you know, the big, big deal in junior tennis is, is achieving a gold ball, which is winning a super national, winning a national championship. Um, I was working with a girl this past winter, Maggie Sons who won her first gold ball at the USDA National Hard Courts over the summer. So that was like really exciting um, because she she's a, a New York player from upstate New York who beat all of the best academy kids from around the country, which is very remarkable. And she's got an amazing future. She has amazing talent. Uh, but remember that name, Maggie Sons. 
she reminds me of Iga Swiatek. But, you know, there's an example of, of so she's 12, uh, or she was 11, turning 12, and she won the uh, Super National Hard Courts and won a gold ball, a national champion. Really, really a big achievement. But she's turning 12. There are some girls who are 12 or 13 who are really getting close to the pro tour. So that's like a completely different level. Uh, to be 12 and winning your, your national championship is amazing and awesome. But in women's, in girls, with women's tennis, sometimes those kids are 12 playing and winning like they're the national 16s or the national 18s, which is unbelievable. Or they are, they might be playing on the, um, they might be considering turning pro, which, uh, which you don't see with boys. Boys typically turn pro later. So everything is relative. So then you, you go back to um, boys. Boys are typically, and uh, the, the other option those, those teenagers have, and including boys, is the ITF circuit, which uh, most kids start in their early teenage years, like 14, 15, and there's, um, for boys, um, I wonder, I, the girls must have an option to play uh, a little bit younger. I, I have to check that. Um, but because the ITF circuit is an excellent option, uh, for players who are maybe not ready to turn pro, but they want more international competition. So as your player starts to get older, typically with boys at around 14, 15, uh, probably a little younger with, with the girls, as I mentioned, you have the option to play the international circuit, which is called the ITF circuit. And that pathway is really good. I've had lots of players who, uh, well, you got to have the, the money and the finances to travel. But if you have the funds to do it, really good experience to play internationally and you play lots of different uh different variety of players from different countries so that can really help the growth and development of a junior uh typically teenagers so um uh the the, lo the levels in ITF are there are uh, typically five levels you have you have grades they're called grade 5 grade 4 grade 3 grade 2 grade 1 and i think we have a grade A as well um, so that goes, those levels, um, you start in grade five, which are the lowest level ITF events, and you try to work your, your way up to grade ones or grade A. And those events at the top are the junior slams, which are the most prestigious junior tournaments in the world, like the junior US Open or junior Wimbledon, uh, junior Australian Open and junior French Open. Those are the most prestigious junior tournaments in the world. And the you have to be you know, in the top 60, top 80 ITF to even have a, have a sniff at qualifying for those big junior events, the junior Grand Slams. But that's like a huge goal for a lot of the, the kids who are, who are a little bit older teenagers competing at the world level, at the international level. And so you got to work your way up. You have to start in grade five and try to build up your international uh, ranking points and uh, eventually try to graduate to larger international tournaments. Uh, like grade grade three, grade two, grade one, uh, and and if you can do that, you can build up your world ranking, your world junior ranking, with the hopes of qualifying for the junior grand slams. And so, at, at, with older teenagers, you you have the option to play lots of ITFs or play USTA, a lot of USTA nationals, or to play the the Pro Tour. And the Pro Tour is usually uh, also run by the ITF, the International Tennis Federation, and the 
the lowest level pro tour is typically called the futures. So you, you start out in the futures level. And so that's where juniors who are um, excellent players who have high national ranking or international ranking, they can start playing the lowest level um, futures tour or now the, it's called ITF World Tour. Um, this is where you start your you're earning professional points. So usually the kids uh, who are, you know, 12 to uh, 14 are focusing on becoming the best in their, their country. Like, so we have the, we're in the U.S., so our players are trying to get the best USDA ranking they can get. And uh, kids from other countries are trying to get their best national ranking to prove that they're the best in their own country. And then those players typically graduate to the ITF circuit, the world tour where they compete to see who is the, the best uh, player, player, who are the best players in the world. And so it's interesting to see the most talented kids that we have in the U.S. competing with the most talented kids uh, around the world. And there are sometimes some team events where we, the USCA um, takes a, a small group of elite players to play uh, other teams from other countries. So there are other very prestigious events that you can uh, try to get your kid to qualify for if they're really, really elite, one of the top you know, five or ten players in the country. There are some international events uh, that are team events that are really cool. And um, that's about it. And the, like the junior scene for, for teenagers, you have a big choice if you have an older teenager who's good. Uh, are you going to play the, primarily the USCA circuit? Or are you going to sort of start to think about bypassing the USCA circuit and playing exclusively or primarily on the ITF uh, Junior Tour or the ITF World Tour uh, for juniors or the ITF World Tour for professionals? And... Um, I'm not going to say one way is right and one way is wrong. They're, they're, they have different positives and negatives. For example, you need money to travel on the ITF circuit. So if you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of funds, you're probably going to be playing more regionally and uh, in your, your home area, in your home country. In this case, the U.S. You know, the show is primarily, you know, I'm based in the U.S., so I'm, I'm speaking from a U.S. perspective. But if there are people listening from around the world... You can just substitute your own national circuit and, you know, your own federation. Um, but uh, in, the ITF circuit is, uh, you need money to travel, you need money for hotel, you need money, you know, airfare. And, and sometimes it can take a lot of time, it eats up a lot of time. So players are traveling, competing a lot and not actually getting a lot of good training time back home. Uh, that can be a, considera a consideration. So some players choose to sort of like, like let's say you're based in Florida and the competition there is amazing and you have lots of um, great tournaments there regionally in, in, in a place like that or in Southern California or in some, some other pockets of the country. You may not have to travel and pursue an international ranking. You may just decide, you know, hey, I'm going to save my money. I'm going to do a lot of training here uh, in, my, in my own geographic area. And I'm going to play lots of tournaments in this region, and I'm going to work on my USDA national ranking. I'm going to be a top player in the country, or I'm top five in the country, and and um, and maybe try to get a wild card to the Junior U.S. Open or something like that. And and that's a viable route for a lot of top juniors. And then you have on the flip side, you have some other elite juniors who 
um, really aren't playing very many USDA tournaments at all. They may not even play the, the Nationals for the United States. Sometimes they'll play the, uh, like the, the, the USDA uh, National Championships, like at Kalamazoo. A lot, of, a lot of people will play that because they, they may get a wild card to, a pro, to the U.S. Open through that. So there, there may be an incentive to play some, some USDA tournaments if there's a wild card at stake. But uh, some juniors just bypass completely uh, pursuing a national ranking, and they just play exclusively on the ITF um, junior circuit, ITF World Tour, Junior World Tour. Uh, so that's another way to do it. There's more than one way to climb the mountain as a, as a teenager in the juniors. Everything I'm saying for, for, for girls is, is a few years uh, sooner than for boys because uh, for some quirk of nature, girls are uh, maturing faster, both physically and emotionally and uh, mentally some, sometimes. And they are typically playing uh, high-level international tennis, international juniors, ITF, and high-level professional tennis at uh, younger and younger ages. You know, they can, like I mentioned, they can turn pro at even as young as 13 or 14. Or, that's not uncommon. Uh, and, and for boys, it's typically later. Uh, so hopefully that gives you a good picture of the, the older teenage scene. Um, for, for kids who are, like, let's say, just getting out of the, the 10s and going into the 12s and then to the 14s, the, the big goal is to try to, to become one of the best you know, young players in your country so that you have to prove yourself in the 12s at some point, uh, whether, whether you're 9 or 10 or if you're, you're 12. If you're 10 and you're one of the best 12-year-olds in the country, that's pretty impressive. If you're 8 and one of the best 12-year-olds in the country, that's really impressive. And if you're 12 and you're one of the best 12-year-olds in the country, that's also very impressive. But you see the, the relative levels. They, they, uh, there's different uh, levels of greatness, there's different levels of talent, and there's different levels of prodigiousness, of the different prodigy levels here. Um, had a... Um, had a girl recently in the 12s who was number one in the 12s. She was ranked number one in the 12s in the country, which is a great achievement, but she was 12. So, uh, you know, she, if, if a kid is number one in the country in the 16s or the 18s when they're 12, like, a, like, probably, like we're talking like a Jennifer Capriati situation, uh, that is, you know, future probably Grand Slam winner. And when you see someone who's number one in the country in their own age division, like who's 12 and number one in the country in the 12s, that's typically, you know, you, nobody has a picture-perfect crystal ball, but that's, that's typically telling, uh, signaling that that player is for sure a good D1 prospect and can definitely probably play on the tour, but you're not automatically, they could still improve also, by the way, but that's not usually signaling like, uh, trans transcendent uh, next gen Grand Slam winner, but when you see someone who's playing couple age divisions above where what their age is and doing very well, that is uh, that is a definite signal that this kid may have the goods to be uh, a star. You know, like to win a slam. There's, there's you know turning pro, making the pro tour and being couple hundred in the world is an amazing achievement. But that's a far, far, far away from 
someone who t who turns pro at a young age and then wins slams or multiple slams. So the d the difference in talent and uh, potential can can be quite large, even at, even at the pro level. Three or four slams is also amazing, and it's a completely different level. So with young kids, the, the ones who are potential Grand Slam winners, potential world number ones, are the ones who are very, very precocious and doing things um, who are way ahead of their peers in terms of the age. So you have, like, like I mentioned, 12-year-olds competing with 16-year-olds or or 18-year-olds, uh, or you have 13- uh, or 14-year-olds who are competing with uh, grown women on the tour and doing well. Or you have a 15- or 16-year-old male who's able to win pro matches and, de and develop and build their world ranking, their world professional ranking. That is really, really special when you see that kind of trend in a player. So... Those are the things you're looking for at the elite level. So at the non-prodigy level, <coughs> you have uh, a lot of kids who probably are playing uh, three, three, three days a week, two to four days a week. They're working on their sectional ranking. You have USDA sectional ranking, and you have USDA national ranking. And the national rankings now, when I was a player, there was only like 100 or 150 players ranked in the country when I was a junior, and it was a big achievement to get a national ranking. Now, the national rankings go down into the thousands, and um, it's kind of weird. And so players can technically say that they're national ranked, even if they're ranked like 800 in the country. But for me, still, like, national ranking kind of means like you're in the top 100 or top 200 in, in the country. Like, to me, that's like a legitimate you know, national quality player in your age division. So the, the non-prodigy kid is trying to become one of the five or ten best players in their section. You know, so for me, it's, it's Eastern or New England. I have lots of players from the Northeast here, so uh, five or ten in New England or five or ten in the East is, is probably a little better in the East because the East is a bit stronger than New England, but... Uh, you, you could try to be number one in your section. You could try to be top five or ten. If you're in that range, you know, you have a chance to go to nationals and some of the bigger nationals and earn more points uh, for, na for a national ranking. And um, that is the big goal for most non-prodigies. So, so for kids who are good, but uh, not, not elite elite, not, not, in, not off the charts, uh, and remember, we talked about different levels of being off the charts. For, for kids who are, are good, uh, they're trying to build up their sectional ranking. You know, uh, For some kids, it's just getting to the top 100 in the section and then trying to chop away at it and get to top 50 in their section, top 20 or 30 in their section, and ultimately to try to be one of, the, let's say, top 10 in your section, depending on the level of your section. And if you can do that, you start to access these higher level national tournaments where you can get more national points. And uh, for me, like a, a, a good ranking in the country is like 100, 150. Uh, you, you know, some kids may start out, they, they get on the board like 400 or 300, and they're trying to chip away at that and get into the top 100. For me, I'm always working with the player on getting into the top 100 in the country. For me, that's a good marker. And that, that gives me a sense of where they are with their ability level depending on how much they're practicing. I always tell you guys that the players who are practicing a lot 
and struggling to make top 100 in the country are probably a little less talented than the players who are, um, let's say, they're easily top 100 and they're not even practicing that much. You know, some players are super talented. They're only playing a few times per week and they can make top 100 in the country. No sweat, they're amazing athletes. They compete pretty well. Uh, those kids usually have more quote-unquote talent, more ability. But in general, to me, that's, that's kind of the holy grail. That's the big uh, goal to get into the top 100 in the country in your particular age division. Usually it comes at the second, the second year of the age division. The first year is like acc acclim the kids are acclimating you know, to, to the, the, the age division. And there's a lot of older kids. Though, so it's tough for a kid to make top 100 in their, or, or top 10 in their section in the first year of their age division. So when they're 11 like in the 12s or when they're 13 in the 14s division. But uh, typically you'd expect that achievement by the second year uh, of the division. So when kids are in their, their 12 in the, in the boys or girls 12s or they're 14 in the boys or girls 14s or 16 in the, in the boys or girls 16s, you're looking for top 10 in the section, top 100 in the country for those uh, for their age division with their peers. Nothing, nothing super special, nothing like, like no playing in the division above or winning in two divisions above or three divisions above, uh, just in their own uh, level. And this typically signals that a player will be headed to college, probably D1. The goal is to get onto a good D1 program, uh, into a good D1 program. Uh, and, and I think that's a pretty common pathway for a lot of kids. You know, they become pretty good. And they're, they're competing well against their peers of similar age in the same age division. And they're able to achieve whether it's 100 in the country or 50 in the country or, or 30 in the country. Uh, that would be really, really good if they can get into the top 50 in the country. And usually those kids have a good pathway to play uh, Division I college tennis. They may not be uh, elite stars of Division I college tennis, but they'll be good college players. And if your kid is outside of the top 100 in the country, not able to reach the top 10 in their section, you know, they're 15 or 20 or 25 or, or lower in the section, that usually signals that the kid is uh, probably not Division I material. Uh, they may be better off in the Division Three program. Uh, usually the players uh, that, I'm, that work with me are, are looking for really high academic schools, so they're looking at Division I or Division Three. If the kid is uh, maybe not as academically inclined, uh, there are a number of Division II schools with very high-level tennis. Uh, usually, they're not as as usually usually they're not the highest uh, standouts academically, uh, but they have a really amazing athletics. So Division II is another option for some students. But uh, that's typically how it works, you know. If you're you're. Uh, if you're in uh, the top 100 in the country, top 10 in your section, you're looking to have a chance to play D1. And if you're struggling to make that and you're working really hard and you're, you're playing a lot, maybe you're playing six days a week, it's probably not in the cards for you. You probably should maybe consider a good Division three school. Some of the Division three schools are fantastic now, really good programs. Or, or uh, D2. Or, um, you know, you, you, may not, uh, you may not want to play if, if that disappoints you, you can't get on the D1 team, maybe you just play club tennis and tennis ends for you at, at the end of the, your 18, you know, at, at when, you, when you graduate high school. 
Uh, and for some kids, that's, that's the path they take. So, guys, what do you think? The, 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 this is, uh, I tried to go through all the years, like junior tournament progression. Um, there's probably a lot more questions you have. So in the comments, leave uh, as you watch the show or listen to the podcast. Uh, you can also send me an email, chris at chrislewitt.com or chrislewitt at gmail.com. And I know there'll be lots of follow-up questions about the um, junior tournament progression, you know, questions about how many tournaments to play. Just as a broad, you know, that's a really common one. It's, okay, so how many tournaments should a kid play? It every every player's different. I get that parent that question from parents all the time. If you if you you feel free to send me that question, but I'm gonna have questions back for you about your kid. Most kids play two to three tournaments a month, and um, you gotta leave time for development. You know, like working on 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 things, things that you learn from the tournaments. And some kids play a little less, and some kids play a little more. So I've had some elite. Uh, national rank kids who are playing almost every week, which always makes me a little bit nervous. Like, uh, not only I'm worried a little bit about burnout, but also worry about uh, injuries, especially injuries. I'm always worried about injuries because I lost my career to injuries, so that's something very near and dear to my heart. Uh, you worry about uh, you know the kids being uh, fresh and hungry if they're playing like a tournament every weekend. Um, some parents do that, and the kids are are down with it. And then for some kids, that's way too much. Like, you know, to play um, uh, one tournament a month, uh, two tournaments a month for them might be a lot. Like a, a big, big uh, stress and, and a lot of preparation and like a lot of emotional outlay. Uh, and it's just um, uh, two tournaments a month might be, might be plenty. So it really depends on the player and there's no one right answer. But in general... Uh, most of my top-ranked kids are playing at least two tournaments a month, and then some months might be busier, you know, three or four, depending on what part of the year it's, you're in. But you got to leave some time for development. You can't just be uh, all tournaments all the time, although I know I do have and have had some really high-ranked kids who kind of do that, uh, but I think that's more a little more rare. Like they almost use the tournaments as practice, like every weekend the tournament, uh, which I'm not a huge fan of. But there are some kids who who do that. You, what you get is a very match tough player. You get a player who really knows how to win, but they may have some holes in their game because they're not doing a lot of uh, practice and training. You know, in be in between. And sometimes with those players, you. If you're playing too many tournaments, the player doesn't really want to change anything or experiment because they always got a tournament coming up. There's no like window to, to work on uh, things that are not so good in their game. So that can be a problem too if you play too many tournaments. But hopefully that helps, guys. Gives you an overview of the younger years for prodigies, non-prodigies. And then we have the, the kind of the older years going into the teenage years. And we even talked a little bit about college and like the the signals and the pathway uh for college but for me because i'm in this game all the time this is what i do for my life's work this is my career and this is my job you know i i basically i see the progressions in front of me all the time and and i think i can be a good resource for parents especially and other coaches who maybe you know sometimes i have young coaches training with me or if we have lots of coaches who watch this show i don't know whether they're just taking all my secrets and and run into the court and using, the, using them uh, back home, which is, I guess, fine. But I think I have, I just like, 
sharing and, and educating. So there may be coaches who haven't taken a kid to nationals before, haven't taken a kid to uh, an elite level. And uh, uh, you definitely can see a trend and you, you can, uh, I don't want to say you can always predict because there are always surprises. No one has a perfectly clear crystal ball, but if you, if you've done this rodeo enough times, like I have, now I'm getting older. I look young, but I'm getting older, guys. Uh, you start to see the same patterns. And so I tried to share with you that insight. Like if a kid is doing well, five or 10 in the section, 50 to 100 in the country with uh, their peers in the same age division as their age, that's usually a sign that you got some, you got a kid that played play D1 down the road. And, and if you have a kid who's playing above their age, like one division above or two divisions above, or for God's sakes, three division, three age divisions above, like you got something really, really special and they can and, and forget college. Like you, you're talking like anywhere from pro material to potentially like grand slam world beater. Uh, world number one potential if they're really playing many age divisions above. I think that's really the criteria you're looking for. So I hope that uh, gives you some insight. If you have questions about specific uh, amounts of training, we didn't really get into the amounts of training, but uh, they're related to the amount, to the level. So the kids who are, are really high level, they're usually training more per week. Typically, you know, anywhere up from 20 to 30 hours per week, which is a lot almost a full-time schedule. And then you have the, the non-prodigies, like more normal, quote-unquote, I don't want to say average, nobody likes the word average, but regular top-ranked kids or high, highly-ranked kids are usually playing 10 to 15 hours per week, which I, I consider a part-time schedule. I believe we've done a podcast or two on how much, how much should my kid train, you know, but there, it's related to the tournaments and the and the the progression that you're that you're looking for and the talent level and and also the maturity of the kid. Some kids are not mature enough uh, to play twenty five hours a week. You know they're they're not serious enough, and uh, they might squander a lot of that time. And and some kids really can. Some kids very young could even do that, as long as you do it safely and don't get the kid injured. So really, everything is player-dependent. Try to read your player. Try to be very empathetic. Try to, try to really put yourself in the player's shoes and, and, and use your intuition and your, your feeling, your, your, your sense of the, of the player, what the player is going through. That's really important as a coach and a parent. You want to develop that sense, that intuition. And then you can adjust the player's tournaments and the player's uh, practice schedule. I have one question: Is D one really hard to that hard to get into? Sorry, the 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 comments go quickly. I have one question at the end of the show here. If you want to post it again, I'll I'll answer it. But I think the question was: Is it that hard to get to D one? Uh, yeah, D one is really high level now in the U.S. You have lots of international competitors, uh, in, you know, international players competing for spots on in the U.S. So. D1 is incredibly competitive uh, for girls and for boys. For girls, there's a lot. There's more scholarships on the line, so that's getting more and more competitive. For boys, there's a little bit less money on the line, but there's lots of international players trying to come to the U.S. So your level has to be extremely high to qualify for for D1. 
Guys, I think it was a good overview. If you have follow-up, shoot the questions to me, whether via email or in the comments section, and then I can maybe, we can do another show or we can do some Prodigy Maker Minute. We're doing more Prodigy Maker Minutes on this, but uh, I think it was a pretty good overview. And I tried to cover the entire gamut, like the spectrum from young, like really young, like five, six, seven, uh, all the way up to like older teenagers. It's, it, was a, it was a lot to manage, but I hope you got a good sense of like the, the typical progression you might see if you have a really elite, talented kid, or if you have maybe a less talented kid who's still serious, or maybe you have a kid who's just not a prodigy, who who is a good player and who wants to play just in high school or maybe D3 college. I hope you got a good sense of like what that pathway starts to look like and what your options are in terms of tournaments. So guys, it's been a great show. I will see you on the next program. God bless and see you later, guys. Adios. We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Vamos.